Praise God. Well, the ladies already kicked it off. First Christmas event announced already this morning. And, you know, and it reminded me that this time of year, this time of year, TV is filled with Hallmark movies or Hallmark knockoff movies. Lots and lots of them. And these movies are predictable. They're simple. These movies are about two people brought together through circumstances, coincidence, through some kind of event, discovering that they love each other and living happily ever after. Right? Yeah, see, all the people, they understand that. Now, if there's a twist in the plot, if there's a monkey wrench to be thrown in, it is that one of the two people is holding a secret that the other doesn't know about, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you've watched them before. Something that happened in their past or something that they're ashamed of and that they don't want to tell the other person about. And it nearly tears the relationship apart. Why does the relationship falter? Is it because they suddenly discovered they don't love the person anymore? No, 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 no. Even though it was only 30 minutes of the movie, they already decided they love each other forever. Is it because they finally figured out they don't like the way the person walks or smells or talks or anything else? No, 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 no. It's because the person lied and trust was broken, right? In these movies, the secret, though, is usually something not terribly horrendous. You know, like they find out the person was a prince. You know, like, like I'm not sure how that ever, you find out that and that's a bad thing. But anyway, you find out the person was a prince and they were only disguising it. Or you find out that they were the person who was sent to buy your parents' ranch or something like that. And then, you know, they're able to confess it to one another and work it out. And then they're able to love one another and get past it. And, you know... Trust is restored, and they're able to go on and win the day. Now, these stories, they do contain a truth, though. These stories teach us a valuable truth, that the house is built on love, but the foundation is trust. Hello? The foundation is trust. A drunk husband... He snuck up the stairs quietly one night and he looked in the mirror in the bathroom and oof. So he bandaged up all the bumps and bruises he'd received in a bar fight that night. Then he proceeded to climb into bed thinking to himself, I pulled one over on her. She didn't know. Then in the morning when he wakes up, he looks up at her. And she says, you were out drinking last night, weren't you? And he says, no, 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 no. Honestly, I wasn't. She goes, oh yeah? Well, then who put the bandages all over the mirror? You know, there's a lot of negative things that can impact a marriage relationship. A lot of, there's a lot of stressors out there today that can tear at a relationship. And it's no mystery that the enemy does everything he can to try and pull marriages and to pull homes apart. But I think nothing is more devastating to a relationship than a breach of trust. That's why today I want to talk to you about the 12th principle. The bridge of trust. Now, you might be saying to yourself, the 12th principle, wasn't last week number nine? What happened to 10 and 11? Yes, number, well, last week was number nine. And I'll tell you what's happening to 10 and 11. They're coming. <laughs> but, but next week, Mike Bailey's here, and we're doing a Kingdoms uh, you know, Builder celebration, and you don't want to miss it. It is going to be an awesome time because above our regular budget, we set a, a really aggressive goal of $115,000 to raise to do a number of things, not the least of which was to finish our mortgage off this year. So we got a lot to talk about next week. And Mike Bailey's going to be here with us, and we've been supporting him, and we've got a new project that we're going to engage in with the Baileys in the Philippines next year. So it's going to be a great Sunday. Come early. Uh, you know, as, as they say in the U.S. elections, uh, you know, 
vote early, vote often. And, uh, you know, so come here and, and come early and, and eat, you know, <laughs> eat some donuts with us, drink some coffee with us and celebrate together. Amen. Come on. Oh, come on. Can you lighten up a little bit, will you? For crying out loud. <laughs> so he, so he's going to be here next week. And then in the next two weeks, we're going to do 10 and 11. And uh, since Ken hadn't told me back, he's going to be here on the 27th. And he's going to be finishing up uh, our time together on our kingdom principles. And I told him, I gave him two options of either 10 or 11 that he wanted to share because I wanted to do 12. But since it's not going to be the last one, I moved 12 to today. Is that everybody clear as mud now? Why we're doing 12 before 10 and 11? That's why. All right, I wanted to do the 12th principle, the bridge of trust. Because this is probably one of the, the principles that got me thinking about, you know, how important it would be to talk about these principles in the first place. Why is the bridge of trust the last principle? Well, because it's kind of the bookend of principles. The first one being transcendence in that the principle that the kingdom of God is first, right? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added unto you. The, the principle of transcendence, of the king being before all and through all, is what we talked about first. And then on the other end of the bookshelf, or of bookending these principles, if you will, is the principle of trust. Because as transcendence, as the kingdom goes through all the principles, trust is the glue that holds them all together. Hence why we start at transcendence and we end with trust. The bridge of trust reminds us that every principle in between has to move back and forth over the bridge of trust. So the question we have to ask ourselves, why is trust so important? Why is trust so important? Well, it's because we're human. And as humans, we need trust in order to build relationships. In fact, without trust, society falls into chaos. How did Fidel Castro fool the CIA for a generation while he was trying to build up a nuclear arsenal to launch against the United States? Why did Neville Chamberlain think that he could trust Adolf Hitler? Why are campus sexual assaults on the rise? Do television sitcoms teach us something about why we relate to one another the way that we do? Those are some pretty profound questions. And the answers are found in a 2019 book that I read that Katrina gave to me. And uh, I think you must have bought it. It must have been hot off the press because I read it back in the fall of 2019. And the book's called Talking with Strangers, What We Should Know About the People We Don't Know. And historian and sociologist Malcolm Gladwell takes the reader on an intellectual adventure a challenging and controversial excursion through history and through psychology. And he touches on the scandals that have taken straight out of the news, uh, the Bernie Madoff scandal, the trial of Amanda Cox, the suicide of Sylvia Plath, the Jerry Sandusky pedophilia, Penn State University debacle, the death of Sandra Bland, uh, you know, and throws these things that throw our understanding of, of life and of trust into doubt. And the book is an extremely awesome read. And Malcolm exposes how incredibly bad we are at identifying when somebody's lying. We think we're good at it. And in fact, the people that really think they're good at it are usually horrifically bad. You know, we think we're good at it, but it's incredible how bad we are at it. And Malcolm shows us how incredibly dangerous it is when we believe everyone is lying. See, if you're fed up with being deceived, if you're fed up at being fooled and you think to yourself, well, then I'm just not going to trust anybody, Malcolm shows you in the book how dangerous it is when our default position becomes distrust. When we allow ourselves to get to this place of, of negativity where we just don't trust anybody, then we are in real trouble. Life is rife with stories of deception, duplicity, and fraud. 
And Gladwell illustrates how important it is that despite the human habit of deceit, our personal default setting must remain trust. Because without trust as our default, chaos ensues. Benajun, he said, the kingdom of God moves at the speed of relationship. You remember when he said that when he was here a few years ago? That's true, but relationship travels on the road of trust. Relationship travels on the road of trust. Although some marriages end because couples stopped investing in each other, stopped showing love to each other, and as the saying goes, they just drift apart. Most marriages that get destroyed is because of some significant, unrecoverable breach of trust. The number one cause or breach of trust is infidelity. The number two is a financial mistrust. But both are breaches of trust, and they devastate the marriage relationship. Now, while we're called to forgive, and we should, because if you don't forgive, you're going to remain in a prison of your own creation. That's just a fact. And nobody holds the key to that prison but you. And forgiveness is essential for you to get out of that prison and to be able to move on with your life. The call to forgive is throughout the scripture. And we're asked to do it. But we may not be able to reestablish trust. I got got everybody thinking here now. The call to forgive is ours. And when we believe, uh, and it's ours, even if we believe the person doesn't deserve it, we're called to forgive. Christ calls us to forgive others as God has what? Forgiven me. That's right. So I'm not putting forgiveness on the table here. If you've been wronged, if you've been hurt, if somebody has done something to to violate your trust and to crush your spirit that has left an incredible wake of pain and devastation in your life, you need to forgive them. You need to release forgiveness because if you don't, what will happen is in that place of isolation, that place of unforgiveness, your own heart is going to become eroded, eroded by hate and eroded by anger and eroded by, by being a victim. And, and it's going to become something that is unusable by God. So forgiveness is not an option. But trust is a different beast altogether. I was trying to explain this and express this, and I, Sherry and I were talking about it last night, and I, well, I put it up on the screen for you. It's like this. Initially, we have to understand forgiveness is free, and trust is an act of faith. So when you meet somebody for the first time, it's not good to have a default position of distrust. No, we have a default position of trust. And so we trust that person. It's a step of faith. It's an act of faith. We have faith that that person is who they claim to be, Right? And that's a good default setting to have, right? But over time, forgiveness is still free, but trust needs to be maintained or even earned if it's been breached. I have lots of people say to me, well, pastor, I thought you preached forgiveness. I do preach forgiveness. Well, then why are you not letting this person do this or letting this person have this place in your life? Why? So because I don't trust them. I forgive them, but I don't trust them. Well, they're the same thing. No, they're not. They're not. I've had people do some very nasty things to me as a pastor, and usually over some of the stupidest things, like I didn't phone them, or they didn't like the color of the paint we put on the walls, or, you know, I don't know, you you just... you. You let your imagination run and you can probably nail one of them down. You know what I'm saying? And, and you know, the reality is, is that I'm not allowed, I'm not allowed, no matter how mean or vicious they've been, I'm not allowed to harbor unforgiveness. I have to forgive them. But even though I forgive them, I don't turn around and put them on the board. Because I don't trust them. Hello? Can you see the difference? I hold no bitterness, no animosity. They're free. If I see them, I love on them. I talk to them. I, I embrace them. But 
My trust is still very small. And to repair that, trust needs to be, as I said, maintained. Or when the breach is big, it needs to be earned all over again. Forgiveness doesn't need to be earned. Any of us thinks that forgiveness needs to be earned, we've never been paying attention to the gospel. I didn't have to earn forgiveness from Jesus. He gave it freely. He gave it freely, right? But trust, well, trust is a different beast. And sometimes we get confused about the two. And that's why we have classes on forgiveness and then we have classes on boundaries. What are boundaries? Boundaries are things we establish in our life so that untrustworthy people do not get to dictate to our life. Amen? Am I doing a pretty good CR presentation here? Okay, thanks, Elise. (laughs) CR approved this message this morning. Brought to you by Pastor Kevin and Celebrate Recovery. (laughs) Hallelujah. Uh, You see, ultimately, all human interaction is mediated, is worked over by crossing back and forth on a bridge of trust. And without trust, human relationship becomes untenable, becomes something we can't achieve or hold together. And obviously, the greater the trust, the stronger the bridge needs to be. People go, what do you mean, pastor? Well, just start adding zeros to an amount to a digit. And how much trust does it take? Does it take much trust to lend $20 to somebody and believe they'll give it back? Not a lot. Eh, no problem. 200 For some of you, like that's already the limit. <laughs> no. 2000 20000 Add zeros and you just realize how much trust it takes to be able to support the request. Hello? Are you understand what I'm saying this morning? In nations, nations are a macro of this principle. They're a a large point of view of this principle. Trust between citizens and their leaders is extremely important. And those in control have to maintain the trust of the people or government begins to collapse. Now, in a democracy, this is held by a process of letting the people speak. And about every four to eight years, people realize they don't trust who's there and they put somebody else in. You know what I'm saying? Uh, but, but in dictatorships, that power is exercised through control and through, you know, force. And that's why in those countries, trust is even lower. Because there was no option. There was no voice. There was no choice. And so we have to see how important trust is in our lives. So let's look at the next point this morning. I can trust God. You can trust God. Amen? The book of Proverbs says this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your path. Paul the Apostle writes this in Ephesians. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. You see how trust figures so prominently in both of those passages of Scripture. And there are dozens of them, hundreds even. You can do a word search of trust, and it's all throughout, especially in the Psalms and Proverbs. It's there repeated over and over and over again. And we are invited to and offered opportunity to trust God. And our relationship with God is built on the fact that God has demonstrated himself to us over and over and over again to be trustworthy, to be worthy of our trust. And when people fall away from God, it isn't because they had some kind of 
intellectual epiphany, it's usually because emotionally something happened that caused them, through their perspective on the situation, to stop trusting God. To be incapable of seeing God still working in that scenario. And when trust from their perspective is breached, they walk away. Because trust is so important. Trust means complete confidence and faith in a person. Certainty based on past experience. From the root meaning of help or confidence, to trust means to rely on someone without fear because of their record of reliability. What an incredibly good definition of trust that is. In other words, with that, based on that definition, I conclude we can trust God. We can trust God. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word translated trust in English is bathic. Bathic. And it means to confide in or to lean upon. Interesting, huh? It means to stand firm with a full assurance, to believe in, to be firmly supported as a parent carrying an infant, to flee to a place of refuge or security, to trust in the stronghold. That's what the word means. In the Greek, the word is elpizo. And it means to have become convinced and firmly rely on and be confident in, to hope in. It is confidence in someone that results in following them. Now, why am I telling you all this? Because these two scriptures, they speak to a theme that is woven throughout the word of God that we are called to trust him, to lean on him, to have confidence in him, to put our hope in him. All of these words take meaning and relevance from the understanding of trust. Living with trust in God affects every aspect of your life. It removes suspicion and it enhances your relationships. Living without trust elevates doubt to a place where it dictates to your actions and your life. And the outcomes are not good. I found two stories that were almost identical but with different outcomes to illustrate my point. The first, the without God perspective. There's an old story of a father who took his son out and stood him on the railing of the back porch. Then he went down, stood on the lawn below him, and he encouraged the little guy to jump into his arms. I'll catch you, the father said confidently. After a lot of coaxing, the little boy finally made the leap. When he did, the father stepped back and let the child fall to the ground. He then picked up his son, dusted him off, dried his tears, and he said, let that be a lesson to you, son. Never trust anybody. See, that is what happens when you lose trust. When you haven't got a confidence that our God is trustworthy, this is where that negativity will take you. Now, this other story sounds very similar. One day, Zach, uh, while my son, I should say, one day while my son, Zach, and I were out in the country, a man writes, climbing around in some cliffs, I heard a voice from above me yell, hey, dad, catch me. I turned around just in time to see Jack, joy, Zach joyfully jumping off a rock straight at me. He had jumped and then yelled, hey, dad. I became an instant circus act, catching him. We both fell to the ground for a moment after I caught him and I could hardly talk. When I found my voice again, I gasped in, in exasperation. I said, Zach, can you give me one good reason why you did that? And he responded with calmness, sure, because you're my dad. Every confidence that no matter what, dad will be there for him. Do you see the difference? The difference those two little boys are raised with. The first boy obviously already experienced that he couldn't really trust dad because dad had to coax him off the rail. The second boy jumping even when dad's not looking because he knows dad will be there for him. Which one of those dads had a confidence in God? Which one of those dads understood that if God is for me, who can be against me? Amen? Who understood that God, if he said it, if he promised it, he who has promised is faithful? Do you see what the scripture is showing us and what these two stories, these two little boys illustrate? Is that we can trust in God and when we do, when we do, it changes our life. Our whole journey through history and through life is affected by the answer to that question. Can I trust God? Yes or no? If I can, it changes the whole outcome. Now, next point that I don't think a lot of people think of when we talk about trust 
is, can I trust God? I can trust God? Yeah. Here's another revelation. God trusts you. God trusts me. This is kind of more amazing to me than the fact that I can trust God. The fact that he trusts me? That's astounding. That's astounding because some days, how many know you look in the mirror and you think, I don't know if I'm worthy of that trust, Lord. Maybe we've never even considered the concept because we don't even think about whether God trusts us or not. It's just a foreign thought to us. But God does trust us. In fact, he's entrusted the plan of redeeming the whole world to us. Say so he entrusted it to me. Say it again. You didn't say it with a lot of confidence. He entrusted it to me. That's true. It's true. Listen to this scripture this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us and entrusted us with the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them, and is committed, entrusted to us the message of reconciliation. Wow. God trusts us. He trusts us so much that he has entrusted to us the most important mission on planet Earth. The ministry of reconciling people to him. Are you getting that this morning? That's the level of trust that God has with us. God trusts me with the love of his son. God trusts me with his own affection. God trusts me with his word that I won't use it or abuse it. God trusts me with his grace. God trusts me with his heart. God trusts me with my own desires. And he says that he will give them to me. God trusts me with my wife. God trusts me with my children. God trusts me with my job. God trusts me with my ministry. God trusts me. He has placed strong trust in his children. Why? Because God builds relationship relationally. He builds and covenantally he builds. That's how God works. He makes commitments to his people covenantally and he keeps them. He keeps his end of the bargain and he trusts that we'll keep ours. Now here's the amazing thing about God. When we fail, when we fail, he affords us the opportunity to try again. He does. Now when we fail, God starts setting up and racking up a set of tests for us. You ever notice that? You ever been tested by God? Come on, sure you have. I've been tested by God. You haven't been tested by God? You're probably delusional here this morning. Why does he test us? Because there's probably an area in our life that we've been entrusted something and didn't get an A plus on it. So now God provides a test for us. And what's he doing? When he tests us, when he tests us, he is, he is giving us an opportunity to come to a place again where we recognize that we're trustworthy and he trusts us. He sees how we're going to imagine it. You see it all through the scripture, the parable, the talents, right? Where he, he tests these people to see how they will respond, right? Trust. Most of the precious things in our lives are relationally based from trust to love. God created us to thrive in the context of healthy relationships. And trust is that bridge on which they must travel. The kingdom of God moves at the speed of relationship. But the road it travels on is trust. When I first started contemplating doing this thing on trust, I came across this guy who was a motivational speaker who had, and I've shown a number of you this, so some of you have seen it before because I was so jazzed about it. I started showing everybody. And then I said, I got I to gotta preach this. And then when I realized how incredibly important it was and how it fit in with this morning, I was like, I have to wait 
until the 12th one to talk about this? Oh my goodness, I can't wait that long. So now that might be another reason why we're two or two weeks early or three weeks early preemptively talking about trust when it's supposed to be number 12. But I want to talk to you this morning as we wrap this out by how, how trust works in everyday life. And I want to show you the difference between performance or skill, if you will, or giftedness and trust, all right? I'm going to put up on the screen here for you a chart that illustrates this for you. So you'll notice on the left-hand side, from low to high, we have a performance scale. On the right, on the bottom, I should say, from going from left to right, we have a trust scale. Low, medium, and high earmarkers on, all, on both, performance and trust. Everybody see that? Now, nobody wants on their team a low performer who is low trust, right? I mean, think about it. If, you're, if you have some kind of a ministry you're working on, if, you've got, if you're working in a school, if you're working uh, in government, if you're working on the, a, a team at work or whatever, the kind of employee, the kind of partner, the kind of team member you want in a sports team or whatever, you don't want... Can you put that back up for me? You don't want the low person, the low trust person. You don't want that person, right? What do we all want? That's right. Everybody wants the high performer who's high trust. High performer, high trust. And the guy that was speaking about this, he, he said he had asked uh, a Navy SEAL, how do they determine who should be on their team? And the Navy SEAL commander, he drew this up on a whiteboard for him so he could see it. And he said it forever changed his life. And I admit it changed mine as well. So he said, everybody wants the high performer, the high trust person on their team, right? That's who you want. You want the person that's going to come through in the clutch. You want the person that's going to be there for you, who's got the skills and can be relied upon 24-7 to be able to perform. Amen? Now, what is it? absolutely, you know, worst person? Well, the worst person to have on your team is the high performer who's low trust. Surprise, surprise. It's not the low performer with maybe low trust or even medium trust. No, no, no. The worst person is the high performer who's low trust. This person's a toxic leader and a toxic team member because they have high levels of skill but low accountability and trust. And you might think, you might, if, you, if you don't understand trust, you might think this person would be a great addition to your team. And then you find that division and strife and all kinds of things come and it destroys the effectiveness of the team. This was illustrated yesterday when the Boston Bruins announced that they picked up that young 20-year-old who had been caught as a teenager, uh, you know, abusing a, a black handicapped child, tormenting him at school, got caught on video. And he was only 14 or 15 at the time when he did it, but it made him ineligible for the draft until later, and he had a lot of repair work to do. And, and so there was a whole amount of attention drawn to this in the press because the Bruins have, you know, drafted this guy. And there's a whole argument about giving people second chances and all the rest of it, and I get that. But the, the problem that they all see, the reason that they all talked about their concerns with this young lad, even though they're sure that he's changed many of his ways and all the rest of it, is exactly this principle. He's a high performer. He's a draftable hockey player, but they don't know if they trust him. And it affects the whole dynamics of the team. Everybody see what I'm saying this morning? Now, what the Navy SEAL guy said was this. He said, you know, the medium performer, the low performer, he said, those people, he said, we would rather have them, he says, than the high performer, low trust. Why? Because here's something. You can teach skill, but it's difficult to teach trust. Right? You follow what I'm saying? You can teach skill. You can teach somebody to be a better performer. It's very difficult to teach somebody to have a higher level of trust. Now, here's something for you to ponder. This is what the guy put up on, on the screen at the end. I was like, he's so right. Is this. The problem is we have millions of metrics to measure performance and little to no metrics for measuring trust. 
I, I fill out probably more job recommendation forms than probably anybody in this building. Because everybody wants to put their pastor down as a reference. At least if they think they're doing well, they want to put their pastor down as a reference. Uh, and they put me down, and I end up filling out literally dozens of these things every year. Dozens of these things. And I'm going to tell you right now, honestly, I don't, can't remember any questionnaire about employment where an employer was seeking to find or to demonstrate illustrations of whether the person was trustworthy or not. It was all performance-based questions. And yet, what we've just learned through this whole chart, what we just learned is that trust is far more important than performance. And yet, we lack the skills to be able to ask important questions to determine whether the person's trustworthy or not. Fantastic. I, t- I studied for uh, about a year or so, um, maybe a little more than a year, with Moody uh, Bible Institute in Chicago to be able to help our denomination and our district interview people to determine whether they would make good cha- church planters or not. And, and this process required us to interview an individual and their spouse for four hours. Usually how long it took. Four hours. You know why it took four hours? Because we're not just interested in performance. We're interested in trust. And so we need to spend four hours asking them questions to determine the nature of the person that we have sitting across from us. And so we ask questions that are very uncomfortable because the questions we ask were geared to get them to talk about themselves. And we don't like talking about ourselves. Oh, we don't mind bragging about our team winning and we don't mind bragging when we've had a victory, but... but You know, do we really want to get into the details of stuff? And so what we did was we would ask questions like, for example, uh, tell us when you, a project that you created and and, and you, you implemented and what role you had from beginning to end. And so they'd start telling you about, I said, it could be a lemonade stand when you were a child right up through to, you know, a division of work or a church or whatever. And what you discover as they start talking, they'll say things, well, then we did this. I said, whoa, whoa, whoa. When you say we, who do you mean? What was your role? What was it that you did? And we kept stopping them because they would constantly say we, and we'd constantly have to say, yes, but what was your role? What did you do? And we would ask these questions until finally they got the idea. We want to know specifically about you. And a lot of times people who had a resume that looked good you discover they actually hadn't really had a lot to do with the outcomes themselves personally. Or maybe that they had some kind of an attitude about it that wasn't healthy. And we quickly went, hmm, maybe not the best person to launch out and plant a church. Interesting, huh? I mean, you guys do that? Yeah, yeah, we do. And so we spent a lot of time working with people, interviewing them, and one of the things that we discovered is that there's, there's 13 uh, attributes we're looking for, and six of them were called knockouts. If they didn't possess it, if they didn't possess it, they were eliminated. They were missing one of those six. The other seven were called punch-outs, and if you're missing three out of the seven, then you didn't make it. And you know what the most important knockout was? Spousal support and trust. Number one. Number one. They didn't have spousal support and trust. Sorry, not happening. You see, ministry is unique, ministry is built on trust. We don't bring people in to work here just based on the fact that they've got a certain skill set. We bring them in based on relationship that's been established and trust that's been built. It's trust that enables us to move forward. And not everybody always understands that or appreciates it. They're like, why don't you hire somebody that, that does all that tech stuff for you? So you don't have to learn any of that, Pastor. Well, we could. We'd have to find a tech person that we thoroughly, 100% had sufficiently deep relationship with and who would take the significant pay cut they'd have to take to come here and work 
and, and entrust him with it. <laughs> Does everybody understand what I'm saying? That for us, trust is more important than any other metric. And if they're willing to come and work for what we'd pay them, there, there'd be a significant amount of trust that would have to be established there. <laughs> Bottom line is that we learn from the Navy SEAL guy is that people who are high performance but low trust are nowhere more toxic than in the body of Christ. And if you don't believe me, then I want you to just let your mind for a minute, just for a minute, go down the news over the last 20 years at how many prominent high-performing men of God are no longer in the pulpit because they were exposed to not be trustworthy. And the fallout and the toxic results that produces are immeasurable. Immeasurable. I realize I'm not the best preacher in the world. I try. I do my best. Not the smartest guy. Don't have a PhD in whatever. But I do my best to be trustworthy. To, as Paul says, be the husband of but one wife. Not given to wine. Not slanderous. Right? Uh, not ill-tempered. You know, he goes through a whole list of things. He points them out to us and says, this is who you want. This is who you should follow. This is who you should work with. And, and when I've built the team, I've looked for those same things. Look for those same things in that person. The most important thing is that my wife and I have to trust them. We have to trust them. Because we can't work together if we don't trust each other. Hello? That makes sense? So let me conclude with this this morning. reading a story by Robert Schuller, and he talked about when his son Bob, Rob Jr., was, you know, in his late teens, that he had fallen in love. And, and it was the woman that he eventually married, so he was genuinely in love. But, you know, they were old-fashioned. They believed in, I know some of you young people are going to think this is crazy, but actually having parents' permission to go out and to date and to spend time with each other. You're like, what? Yeah. And so, you know, they had, you know, only so many nights of the week that the, they'd talked with the parents of the girl and, and, and to their son, Bob, and they'd set up a, a routine where they were held accountable and where their relationship was going to be protected from falling into any kind of, you know, emotional overreach or, you know, breach of, of covenant before marriage. And so they, they had done that. And, and Bob was doing well for a while, but then there was this one night. He was, wasn't supposed to be going out with her. Uh, you know, both parents had agreed that, you know, X number of nights a week, but he just wanted to see her. Just wanted to see her. So he's told his parents that he was going over to his friend's house that night, and instead of going to his friend's house, and she told her parents she was going to a friend's house, and instead of doing that, they went and saw each other instead. Well, guess what? Scripture says, be sure your sins will find you out. And so they were found out, and you know, and quite a, an intense conversation ensued between Robert Schuller and his wife and their son, Bob. And Robert Schuller shares that in the midst of the conversation of them trying to help their son understand what it was like to have their trust in him broken, he grabbed an antique teacup off of the shelf and he threw it on the floor and smashed it. And he said, you've broken our trust in the same way that that teacup has been broken. And the son was shocked and the whole room was quiet. And then he said, and rebuilding that trust is going to be just as difficult is putting that teacup back together. Wow. And he said, but I'm happy to tell you, he said that my son spent the next month, he said, doing everything he could to glue that teacup back together. 
He gathered every piece and he glued the thing and put it all back together. He goes, why? Why does that even matter? He said, because that meant that he understood what had happened relationally and I knew that he was committed to putting that back together as well. So this morning, can I talk to you as your pastor today? Will you just hear my heart as I close out? I love you. And if you're watching online or whether you're here in person, I understand. I understand that you get hurt in the body of Christ. I understand that it may even be, even though I can't ever say I've done it intentionally, uh, but it may even be that myself or one of the other pastors is the cause or the source of your hurt and your pain. And if that's so, we are deeply sorry. But can I tell you this morning that if you've been hurt, the need to forgive is not an option. You need to release forgiveness to that person, whether it's one of us or somebody else in the pew. And you cannot go forward in your journey without forgiving. Forgiveness, forgiveness is so essential to your own healing. And then if you've forgiven, could I invite you? Could I invite you to not allow that wound to turn you into a distrusting individual? Can I implore you to still have a default setting of trust? And can I invite you further, invite you further to give the person a chance to put the teacup back together. Many times they may not be able to. Many times they may not have any interest in doing so. And you'll just have to leave that with God. And it'll just be somebody that you can love and you can encourage and you can acknowledge and even do your best for, but you may not be able to trust them ever again. But can I encourage you that if the person works very hard and puts the teacup back together, to allow trust into your life again. To allow Holy Spirit to heal you. To allow Holy Spirit to enable you to do that the same way God trusts us. Amen? I know it's not going to be easy. No, in fact, sometimes it'll be downright hard. And I know sometimes the other person will not do anything to earn the trust and you'll just have to leave that with Jesus. But I invite you, the place of forgiveness and the place of trust is where to live. Could you stand this morning? I would imagine everybody in here has had some instance where your trust has been breached. Why? Because we're all human and I know that that has happened to you. The only way it doesn't happen to you is you just keep everybody so distant that they can't actually get close and, well, that's no way to live either. So if you love it all, then you've been hurt. If you love it all, then trust has been violated. I want to invite you again today to forgive. And so this morning, if you would just take your hands like this and raise them to Jesus. And I'm not going to say if this has happened to you, raise your hands, because I know it's happened to everybody. So raise them to Jesus this morning. Father, you see our hands lifted up to you today. And we say, Father, would you empower us and give us a grace to forgive, just as Christ has indeed forgiven us. May we never attach a condition to forgiveness, just as you don't attach one to me. But Father that we release forgiveness. Jesus even said of those who were crucifying him while he was hanging on the cross, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Father, may we have that same divine posture in our heart. But Lord, as we try to move forward, we need trust to work forward. Help us, Lord, to discern trust. Help us, Lord, to figure out when somebody has is doing the work to glue the teacup of life back together so we can do trust again.
Show us the pathway forward. And Lord, so sufficiently heal the wounds in our heart that we're able, we're able to take that step. Father, I just pray, God, that you would release us from the prison of unforgiveness, the prison of our own creation. And Father, show us how to build a roadway of trust with those that God have both offended us and those that we work with and that we share life with every single day. And Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. As Kevin was praying, the Lord spoke to me regarding the reverse side of this. And for some of you, you feel that you've been in situations maybe at work where you've been overlooked or long for relationships and just have felt very isolated. And I'm not saying this is in all cases, but I really believe that the Lord would challenge some of us to become more trustworthy people. And I know it's an area God challenged me in probably a decade ago to be a more trustworthy person. And it wasn't in things I said, perhaps, but it was maybe judgments in my heart. Uh, And people can sense that when you have judgments in your heart. So I just declare right now over you that you would seek not just to um, to forgive and to trust people, Mm -hmm. but that we would be known as a house of trustworthy people. Mm that we would stand out in our community, in our workplaces, that we would excel and go above and beyond, that we would have an understanding of honor, and that honor needs to then be translated into be trustworthy employees, Mm -hmm. into be trustworthy friends, into be trustworthy spouses and parents. And so I just pray that over you right now and just bless you in the name of Jesus. Amen, amen, amen. Father, we just thank you for your truth today, for this principle that we realize the kingdom of God operates on, the principle of trust. And Father, I pray that you would help us to all build strong bridges of trust, to be trustworthy people and to release trust to those around. The the default position and posture of our life would be trust. And when the trust is breached, that Father, you would help us to discern when the trust is being rebuilt. And Father, we just thank you for your grace and for your mercy because we need it in Jesus' name. Amen.